the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toll at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to, to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Uh, we're still in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, and uh, the tone hasn't changed all that much. Uh, a lot still is meaningless, and everything is in vain. Uh, but what I want to do today um, is to make two points. Uh, the first point is talk about death as the great leveler. And after that, talk about the importance of determination uh, to do things with all of our might. And I think there are two voices within this text, and I think both of these voices can give us great insight. Uh, the first one is sort of pessimistic, because everything is in vain because of death. But the other voice is um, optimistic, that we should be determined uh, to do what God has placed upon our hearts. So with that very short introduction, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time. Gracious and loving Father, open the eyes of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, and may we see what you want us to see. And may we ultimately be a people who um, know uh, that death is coming, uh, but at the same time, through the resurrection of Christ, to know that life is coming as well. And for that reason, may we wholeheartedly uh, commit ourselves to the things that you have given to us, and wholeheartedly commit ourselves to you. Uh, we pray then that you would uh, give us this insight and give us the strength to do this. And we also pray this Sunday that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Like I said, there's two voices uh, within this text. On the one hand, there is this contemplation of death. On the other hand, there's this idea that we should put our hands and do mightily those things which God has placed upon our lives. Let's go and talk about death first. Uh, death levels all things. Uh, from the perspective of death, everything is invalidated. Or we can say that death makes everything vanity or everything meaningless. Let me give you a couple of stories that might 
underline this. Um, I'll use my son Caleb as an example because he had uh, exams this week. Um, he woke up really early to study for exams, uh, like 5.30 in the morning, and he went to bed really late to study for exams, going to bed at 12 o'clock, only in eighth grade. I know other eighth graders who probably went to bed really early because they were tired and did not get up. In the end, fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the author of Ecclesiastes would say, everything is meaningless. Who cares if you scored the highest mark on your exams? And who cares if you scored a C? Because in the end, the wise die. In the end, the foolish die. In the end, the diligent die. And the sluggard also dies. And therefore, once again, everything is meaningless. When Good News first started a long, long time ago, there was a, a Korean congregation that helped us. That church was called Onori, not the one in Korea, but the one in Edison, the less famous one. It was part of the Koshin denomination, and that denomination is incredibly, incredibly conservative. It is probably like the most conservative denomination in the world, arguably. And therefore, if you meet a hardcore pastor from this denomination, they will be incredibly disciplined and they will have a lot of sacrifice. And it's, uh, when you meet people like this, it's uh, very um, encouraging and you can't help but to respect them. And I met one of these guys and all throughout his life, I can attest, he chose the harder path. Even though God opened the door where things might be a little more exciting, a little more easy, in the end, he always turned them down and always went the more difficult path. Now, I'm not saying that God wanted him to do that. I think his denomination had something to do with it. Uh, but at the same time, he chose the narrowest, the rockiest paths that there were. On the other hand, I met other pastors. Um, they sort of take the easiest path. And they take the path of the least resistance. They take the path where they get most public uh, recognition. They take the path where they look the best and they could stand to gain. Now, if you put those together, obviously we would say one is better than the other and one is more noble than the other. But if we talk to the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he would say, they're both going to die one day. Who cares? Everything is meaningless. Why? Death levels all things. So if you're righteous, on the other hand, you're unrighteous. Who cares? At the end, you're still going to die. One person took the hardest path and had integrity or attempted to have integrity in his or her heart. And the other person took the easiest path. But in the end, because both will die, everything is meaningless. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Let me give you a story, one of my favorite stories, and I don't know if I ever shared it, uh, that comes from ancient Greece. And this is a wonderful story about this guy, Solon. And Solon is one of the seven great uh, sages of the ancient world, famed for his wisdom and knowledge and experience and travel. And one day he went to the great Lydian king, Croesus. And Croesus was not known for his wisdom, but he was known for his great wealth. So as the story goes... Uh, crisis begins to show all of his kingdom, his fabulous wealth, his gold, his silver, all the things that he's accumulated to Solon merely to set him up. And he finally sets him up and asks him the question that he was wanting to ask from the beginning. 
So Solon, in all your travels, in view of your great wisdom and insight, who is the happiest person, the most blessed person that you've ever seen? And Crisis had itching ears. He really wanted Crisis's, uh, he really wanted Solon's validation because Solon is famed for his wisdom and his travels. And you can imagine um, Solon thinking for a second, maybe scratching his head. and goes, oh, yeah, that's easy. This guy, Telus of Athens. Telus of Athens is the most blessed person that I've ever met. Now, probably no one here has heard of Telus of Athens, and that's exactly the point. This no-name person is happier than Solon, the famed wealthy king. Now, obviously... Solon, um, Croesus rather, is perplexed. Why is this person, Talus of Athens, so blessed? Well, Solon begins to say, well, he lives in a great city. He lives in the city of Athens. And to reach your full potential within the Greek world, you have to live in a city and participate in the city and be a part of civic life. Not only that, he's got beautiful children. And that is a blessing from the gods in the ancient world. And not only that, he fought for his city, and he died there, and all the people in the city honored him with a trophy right then and there where he fell. He lived in a city, he died for his city, and his children now are in that city. Now, Christ is like, all right, I'll give you that. Well, let me ask you another question. Who is the next happiest or most blessed person ever? And then Solon probably scratches his head one more time and he says, oh, that's easy, Cleobas and Beton. Who are Cleobas and Beton? Well, that's the point. They're not too famous, but they are famed to some people for their piety towards their mother and to the gods. And then Solon says, well, they are more happy than you. And then he gives this really uh, wise saying, count no man blessed before he is dead. And if you know the story of Crisis, Crisis uh, misreads the Oracle of Delphi, and uh, he fights the Persians, and he loses because the Oracle of Delphi says, if you commence battle, a great kingdom will fall. And of course, Crisis, because he is proud and blind, thought that that kingdom which would fall would be the opposing side's kingdom, when in fact it meant his kingdom, and therefore he was dethroned from his wealthy kingdom. Now you might think, wow, I'd rather be like Cleobas and Beton. I'd rather be like Tellus of Athens. What would the author of Ecclesiastes say? Meaningless, all of it. Cleobas and Beton, meaningless, their piety. Right? He would, he would also say, Tellus of Athens, who cares? Meaningless, he died. Crisis, you will die. Everyone will die. I will die. Everything is meaningless. Don't work too hard. Don't be too righteous. Don't be too wise. Because in the end, death levels all things. Now, I like uh, the ESV's translation. Enjoy life with your wife. This is what you ought to do. With whom you love all the days of this, and I love it, this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. So you might be thinking that he would give this optimistic piece of advice enjoy life with your wife whom god has given to you and love her but he says in this meaningless 
life that God has given to you, all the days of your meaningless life. For this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. You can't miss the point. This one voice is saying, don't be too radical in anything because everything is meaningless because there is death. Voice one. There's another voice, though. And this voice is, I think, a little different. And later on, we'll look at the history of a couple of interpreters and a couple of, I think, giants of Christian faith in history and even in our modern world and how verse 10 really spoke to their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and did something great for the Lord within this context where there is so much on the topic of meaninglessness. What does verse 10 say? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That sounds a little different to me. Let me give you another story that comes from history, this time the history of um, our nation. It's about Abraham Lincoln, and if you know anything about Abraham Lincoln's life, um, he's very inspirational in a lot of ways. And one of the reasons why he is so inspirational is not only because he played such a vital part um, in shaping America in a more righteous path, but also because of all the setbacks he's experienced in life and all the failures that he's experienced in life. Yet at the same time, there was a perseverance about him, and he did not give up. So let me just recount for you, not his accomplishments, but some of his failures. In 1832, he lost his job, and he was defeated for state legislature, and he got rejected from law school. That's a tough year. 1833... Um, he failed in another business venture, and he borrowed money from his friend, had to pay back for the next 10 years. And the woman that he loved, his sweetheart, by the name of Anne Rutledge, she died that year. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. And in 1838, um, he was defeated for speaker in Illinois. In 1843, he was defeated for Congress. In 1849, he was defeated for a lesser position, a land officer position. In 1854, he was defeated for Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for vice president. In 1858, he was defeated for Senate again. But in 1860, he became the president of the United States. One thing we can say about Abraham Lincoln is he's one who is accustomed to failing. Uh, he knows what it means to fail, but I think more importantly and more profoundly, he knows what it means to persevere. Uh, if I had more time, I would love to look through the writings of Abraham Lincoln to see what gave him the courage to continue. And, you know, this sermon would be a lot better if I can say the thing that motivated him more than anything else is Ecclesiastes 9, 10. I don't know if that's true. But certainly the spirit of Ecclesiastes 9.10 is alive and well in the life of Abraham Lincoln. Because no matter what setback he faced, he continued to the end. He persevered. There was a serious resolve about him. He was a determined person to the end. I don't think we have to go back... Uh, hundreds of years to talk about this. I think we can see this even within our own context. Some of you know Byron and Kay. 
And Byron and Kay actually made a visit to New York uh, a couple of weeks ago, and some of you were actually at my apartment, and you guys met Byron and Kay. They gave a shortened view of their testimony. If they give you the longer view of their testimony, um, Ecclesiastes 9.10 would, would have been very prominent. And the reason why it would have been very prominent is because as they were praying together as a couple where they should wind up, uh, first of all, you know, they traveled um, all the way from the U.S. to China um, 20 years ago. That's a long time ago. And China was very different back then to be missionaries. So they already take it, took a huge leap of faith and obedience. Uh, but there was this inkling in their heart that God ultimately did not want them there. But that if they had a willing heart, that God will send them elsewhere. And that elsewhere was Tibet. One of the most difficult places on earth. Uh, just the geography is very difficult. It's on a 13,000 foot plateau. Uh, and there they have been for the last 20 years. And every year they're getting kicked out. And every year there is so much difficulty in just staying there. Yet they have persevered. And one of the things that has them, that encouraged them to persevere, is actually Ecclesiastes 9. Uh, nine, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 10. And um, as Kay was meditating, uh, the Lord spoke to her heart very clear. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So what did her hand find to do? What her hand found to do with her husband was to be a witness for Christ in Tibet. And they did it with all of their might. And therefore, if you look at their lives, it's one of determination. It is one of resolve and discipline. And it is one of great perseverance, no matter how difficult things become. So within this chapter, where the idea of meaninglessness and futility are rife, at the same time, there is this mandate of God, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We see it in the life of Abraham Lincoln. We see it in the life of Byron and Kay over in Tibet. But we see it elsewhere as well. In one of the sermons of Jonathan Edwards, um, he writes, The days are short. Whatever we do, we must do with all of our might. And it's not just something he says in his sermon. One of his resolutions um, every day is to do things with all of his might. And I was... Uh, reading this week, and even a modern-day pastor, um, John Piper, and if anyone of you know, knows John Piper, he is a passionate preacher. Not only is he a passionate preacher, he's a very prolific preacher and writer, and I would say he's one of the great Christians of our generation, uh, one who has been uncompromising um, even to the old age that he is, and he's not losing fire, he's not losing focus. And what he says, um, his own autobiography, as he's speaking, one of the verses that challenged him more than any is the resolution of Jonathan Edwards to do things with all of his might, which was rooted in Ecclesiastes 9.10. And therefore, if you look at someone like John Piper, who's alive and well now, what characterizes his heart is determination. What characterizes his heart is to do things with all his might. In my research, same thing with Wesley. The same thing with Spurgeon. Do things now for the Lord with all your might. 
I think there is an insight there. If there is going to be fruitfulness, if there is going to be great growth, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is, yes, there is death. But at the same time, because we are New Testament Christians, there is also resurrection. And when you put that together, the conclusion is we must do things with all of our might. That's certainly the conclusion that the Apostle Paul comes to in the New Testament. Uh, I think uh, Paul might have been thinking about this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. This is what he writes. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as to the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as to the Lord and not for men. So what he's telling the church at Colossae to do is to do whatever they do with all of their might, with all of their hearts for the Lord. Pretty much the same thing that the author of Ecclesiastes is saying uh, in a proleptic fashion in chapter 9, verse 10. And when we look at the context in which the Apostle Paul writes this, the application is really broad. Um, he's talking in the context of family relations, for one thing. Therefore, husbands and wives ought to love one another. And how ought they to love one another? They're supposed to do so with all of their might. They're supposed to do it wholeheartedly as to the Lord and not for men. So that gives us great insight. Why should you love uh, your wife? For the sake of Christ. And how should you do it? With all your might. How should you love your husband? Why should you love your husband? You should love your husband on account of Christ. And how? With all of your might. If you are working, this is the relationship between slaves and master. How should you work? You should work with all of your might, oh, wholeheartedly. And why should you do it? Because you're ultimately doing it for the Lord. Now, of course, Ecclesiastes doesn't unpack all of this. But at the same time, uh, Ecclesiastes has this voice, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, because one day death will come. So what's my exhortation? My exhortation today is, yeah, think about death. Yes, it will level all things. Yes, death might come any moment. Yet at the same time, even if we just had that worldview, it is, I think, an honorable thing to do it with all your might. But if we now add on the fact that there is a death of death in Christ because of his resurrection, because of his cross, then the only logical conclusion is to do things with all of our might. The only logical conclusion is to do it wholeheartedly as for the Lord. Now, I want you to pause and think about this just for a moment. As I was preparing this, I was getting really excited. Uh, because how should we live our Christian life? We should live our Christian lives wholeheartedly. How should we live our Christian life? With all of our might. How should we look at Christian service? Wholeheartedly. And how should we look at Christian service? With all of our might and therein friends we will find power we will find great power there let me just make a couple more points here uh, to show and illustrate this this power um, 
a lot of you are parents now, um, and you know how difficult it is to raise children. Some of you are not parents, but uh, you can observe parents and you can observe children at church or when there's gatherings. And you know one of the, the awesome powers uh, that you can behold in observing children is the tantrum of a child. Uh, the tantrum of the child is really powerful. And even the strongest parents, their wills bend and break. And they go against their principles. And if they say one thing, they'll do another in the face of a tantrum. It is like a miniature hurricane. And there is fear when that tantrum is about to come, especially if it is in a public place. At that point, parents just panic and they don't know what to do. And they will do whatever is in their power to quell that tantrum. Why? Well, it's very simple. Children would do it, do it with all their might. Their minds, all their might. Their bodies, as they're flailing their arms and their legs and their neck, all their might. With their heart bent on something, even if it's completely irrational, all their might. And what do you do? You are like pudding at that point. You can't do much. Why? Because you just saw a little 13-pound kid. And you've seen what all one's might can do. Now, I think that's really insightful. It's really insightful because if you want to see our church be the church that the Lord wants, it can't be half-hearted service. If we want to make the church what God wants, it can't be lukewarm love. We have to be wholehearted. You know, Ecclesiastes says, all your might. The Apostle Paul says, wholeheartedly. I think wholeheartedly wins out over all your might. And my question is a very simple question. This is like the easiest sermon ever. Have you been giving the Lord all your might? Have you been giving the Lord your whole heart? And I think that will answer so much of where we are in our faith. Because if we've not been giving the Lord our whole heart and holding back like 75% and only giving 25%, no wonder we are where we are. It's not because of anything else. It's probably because of that one thing. If we've been giving our might to the world, no wonder there's uh, some progress in the world. Uh, but have we been giving all our might to the things of God and disciplining ourselves for the Lord? If not, then no wonder we are where we are. Why? Because the text is very clear. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You want to see proof of that? Look at people like Byron and Kate. We're not talking about people 2,000 years ago. We're talking about people that you met two weeks ago. What makes them tenacious? Well, because they do it with all their might. What gives them vision and determination? Why? Because they do it wholeheartedly for the Lord. But I think there's another insight here. And that is not just the idea with all of your might. But I think even if you look at the Olayo family, you realize something else. And what you realize, they've been doing it for 20 years. So I'm not talking about all your might for a season. I'm talking about all your might and wholeheartedly serving the Lord for every season 
of your life. And I think secular psychology would bear this out too. If you want to be a master of any discipline or any topic, right, you have to commit yourselves um, to diligent practice for 10 years. Then you might become a master in that field. Uh, no wonder um, even a PhD takes seven years when you, you put your undergraduate there. That's 10 years. So I think the world is structured in such a way so if you want to be uh, one who really knows the Bible, what do you need to do? With all your might, study it for 10 years. Um, if you want to be a person who really knows how to share the gospel in all contexts, what do you need to do? You need to do that for 10 years with all your might. If you really want to have a paradigm shift when it comes to missions, what do you probably need to do? You probably need to go on missions for 10 years. If you want to be an incredible small group leader, what do you do? Probably lead small group for 10 years with all your might. When that happens, something powerful takes place. Again, it's the only logical conclusion. Death levels all things. Christ levels death through his death and resurrection, renders everything meaningful. And for that very reason, we give our hearts wholeheartedly, we put our might into it, and there will be blessing for us, and there will be blessing for our community. There will be blessing for our family. But what does it require? It requires our might and requires our heart. So I just want to conclude with uh, two questions, two challenges, one and the same. That is this. Are you willing? Good news. Are you willing? Right. Very simple question. Are you willing? to do something wholeheartedly for the Lord. Are you willing? Wholeheartedly, with all your might, for the Lord. And number two, which is related to this, will you try? Will you try? Try now. Try now. And this is what Spurgeon says. And uh, this is his reflection on um, Ecclesiastes uh, 9.10. Do not wait until your experience has ripened into maturity before you attempt to serve God. Endeavor now. What a powerful adverb. Endeavor now. Not later. Now. Endeavor now. And he goes on to say, serve God now. And he ends, do it with all your might. Now. The question is, will you try? Will you try? Is there a willingness and will you try? You know, I, I think as we get older and more mature in our faith, um, it's simple questions like this re that really gauge our hearts. And that is, are we doing it with all of our might? Whatever God has given to us. And is it wholehearted? Because that's what the Lord uh, requires. That's what the Lord deserves. And that's what his grace and spirit uh, enables us 
to actually do wholeheartedly for the Lord. We can, uh, because the Holy Spirit in our hearts brings us to that place. Now, I'm going to close with one story, and that's the theme of trying. Um, A long time ago, um, I had a conversation with um, Nick, and some of you guys know Nick, our Japanese missionary. And uh, he and I were swapping stories about uh, uh, missionary Lee, Brian Lee. And uh, back in those days, um, we had no idea what he was saying. Uh, So I would say, Nick, do you understand what he's saying? He's like, not really. John, do you understand what he's saying? I was like, no, I don't. Uh, So what do you think he's saying? (laughs) And I would say, well, I think he's saying this. What do you think he's saying? I think he's saying this. And we would joke around. Uh, But Nick gave me a little story, and that story was really touching. Uh, When uh, Missionary Lee dies, he just wants one thing on his um, burial stone, and that is he tried. Very simple, right? Uh, We don't have to make the gospel so complex. It's actually very simple. Are you willing? And will you try? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly for the, for the Lord and not for men. Good news, church. I think if we let the Lord uh, speak to our hearts in this, correct us if we need to be corrected, uh, be encouraged if we need to be encouraged, uh, to be affirmed if we need to be affirmed, let the Lord speak. And may we be a congregation that is wholehearted, a congregation that is mighty, uh, mighty in his grace, mighty in his calling upon our lives. Because when we do that, there will, in time, be fruitfulness. Right? I think the New Testament says that very clearly. Um, if you don't give up, there will be a harvest in God's perfect time. So may we once again be a congregation that is mighty, that works with all of our might, and a congregation that is wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer as the worship team comes to lead us in a song of response. And let's uh, spend a couple of moments thinking about those two questions. Are we willing? And are we uh, going to try to serve the Lord with all of our might?